Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the UConn Hockey Hub podcast. We're breaking down the first half of the Husky season. Looking at the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, and handing out some awards along the way. If you want a UConn Hockey Hub podcast every single week throughout the season and in the off season, be sure to subscribe to the UConn Hockey Hub to get that along with all the other coverage of the Huskies that you can't get anywhere else, including recruiting coverage, insights, analysis, everything at patreon.com slash the UConn Hockey Hub. If everything went to plan, this would have been the First podcast at the start of the winter break. Obviously, as we know, things didn't go to plan, but we'll still keep our first half recap in the same spot, looking back on how the Huskies fared throughout the first portion of their season. Not really a half, but pretty much close enough. Overall, I think you got to say the arrows at least pointing up. They finished with a really good win over Colgate. Before that, they had what I'd say was their best win of the season against UMass Lowell. They're above 500. They're eight and six, which very easily could not have been the case. They very easily could have come into the break at 500. I think that would have been disappointing. Obviously, it would have been interesting to see how they fared against both Merrimack and AIC, who, according to Pairwise, are right next to each other. They're actually currently both tied for 29th. So it would have been four games against very even-leveled opponents, even if they are different teams. Ultimately, we don't get to see that now. We've got the planned break of about two weeks for Christmas, the winter break, and the team will return a couple Sundays from now, January 2nd. So to look back at the first half of the season, they open up with just a solo game their first weekend against Sacred Heart, a really solid 6-3 win. It's funny to think about that game now looking back how much anticipation and pressure and uncertainty there was because of how much UConn struggled with Sacred Heart over the years and not really knowing anything about UConn's team, Sacred Heart having a very different team with all these transfers. I thought that was a really good way to start off the season and it wasn't necessarily a super pretty win and the 6-3 scoreline is a little misleading just because of a couple late empty netters, but Got off to the season on the right foot. I think if that game was a loss, I don't know how different the season would be going, but I feel like the vibes would have been way off to start the year. Yeah, they got, yeah. Had to get the monkey off the back. Huge win over over Sacred Heart, I think, no matter what, uh, even if it's a team that UConn's supposed to beat. At the very least, right, it's their record. <laughs> they would be that much closer to being 500 or maybe less. You never know. Um, and And who knows? then how much confidence they're taking into that next series, uh, you know, going up against uh, BU the following week. If you, you know, uh, if you go into that fresh off a loss to Sacred Heart, you're going to feel that extra, you know, need to prove yourself, but also, you know, maybe that you're not that good of a team. So um, I I thought that was a tremendous start to the season. And, um, and then they also played well against uh, BU the following week, which I thought gave us a lot of optimism about, uh, you know, what kind of team this might be. 
Right. Well, it's funny looking back at that BU series. They lose that first game 2-1, kind of blew it at the end, had a really dumb penalty by Carter Turnbull that cost them. But at the time, BU was the number 10 team in the country. And then you come back and you beat them 5-1 the next day on the road. You go, okay, a split against BU. You were pretty close. You were the better team for most of the game on Friday. And now with the way BU's kind of cratered this year, I think that game's that one and probably the BC games are the two ones that I look back and really feel like UConn blew it and should have done better and probably gotten a different result. But that's the way it goes. Overall, I think I don't think you're going to be looking at a 2-1 loss to BU in your second game of the year as, man, if they just didn't lose that game, the whole season would have gone differently. I think that's how it goes, especially in hockey. So I don't think BU is that bad. They're just not a top 10 team, obviously. Then the Ohio State series, which looked really bad at the time. It's almost the inverse of the BU series. BU series looked really good at the time. Now it's just a solid series. The Ohio State sweep looked horrible at the time with how bad of a season Ohio State had the year before. They didn't look like they were going to be much better. Now Ohio State's 12-6. and They're 16th in pairwise. Still probably should have won that Friday night game, leading 3 nothing. But you dominated the overtime period. The hockey gods just decided UConn was not winning that game in overtime. I think they gave up the game-winning goal with six seconds left or something. At that point, I feel like you just kind of tip your cap to Ohio State. They took it the next day, but then UConn recovers with a really good win against the Northeastern team, which I think is a little bit of a deceptive win just because Northeastern pretty much just used that game as a catapult for what they've done since then. They've really gotten hot. They've arguably been one of the best teams in hockey East overall. They're 13, four and one. And I just remember sitting in that post-game press conference and the total look of anger and disappointment and frustration that was just so evident on Jerry Keefe's face. And how he said he wasn't pressing the right buttons and how this team is going to need to figure it out. And very clearly they have figured it out. So I feel like that one is just a little deceptive because UConn did play very well and it was on the road but I don't feel like that's the same Northeastern team that is currently playing or that UConn's going to be seeing in the next series in late February, just because of how they flipped it around. And then the win at Dartmouth four one win, obviously a lot closer because of two empty net goals again, but UConn dominated that game. The fewest shots they've allowed in the Mike cap Mike Cavanaugh era couldn't score until the third period, but again, they figured it out. They got the job done when they needed to. And then had the sweep against Maine. Didn't play great on Friday night. Squeaked out a 4-3 win. Didn't really play that great on Saturday. Played better. Went to overtime. Great play by Harrison Reese gets him the win. So recover from that Ohio State series with four straight wins. I thought that was a very, very important stretch. And it showed us a lot about this team's resilience and their toughness. And I think that resilience has been a very important theme throughout this year. Yeah, totally agree. That's what I was going to say is just really good response to the Ohio State weekend. No matter, even if they're good now, it's still disappointing to be swept. It's disappointing the way that it happened. UConn still can, you know, even today, if we're saying, oh, UConn's going up against number 12 Ohio State or whatever they're ranked, you know, we say, hey, UConn should be able to take a game against a team like this. Um, To be swept and then respond with four straight wins is is really impressive and something else they, they did a you know, something similar later in the season after a couple of losses as well. Um, So I agree. I think we have seen really good resilience from them across the first half 
this was a really good example. I think that Northeastern win, especially, um, was something that they needed. You know, as we discussed, Dartmouth and Maine probably were going to be wins anyway, and and good on them for making that that happen. Um, but Northeastern, that's really a win that they took, you know, and and that they needed at that time. Uh, and and I thought that was that was impressive in and of itself. Stringing together four wins, very important uh, at that point in the season as well. Yeah, and just with the main series, it's not easy to play in Alfond Arena. And yeah, coaches love to say that, oh, it's tough to win on the road. It's tough to win in this barn. But to actually be there for that series and see what the arena is like with the student section literally on top of the ice on one end, hanging over the goaltender, basically, the way they pack that arena, everything. I do understand how that is a very tough place to play. It's a very long road trip to get up there. UConn really doesn't make road trips of that length all that often. Every two years, really, except to go to Maine. So to not only get one win, two wins is pretty rare to get up against Maine. Maine wasn't a good team, but they played really hard. So it wasn't like Dartmouth, who Dartmouth was just bad. UConn needed to beat the crap out of Dartmouth. They beat them. They, they, were a much better team than Dartmouth, even if it's not reflected in the scoreline. Maine, they weren't able to just go up and bully. So I also think it's positive that they didn't really play that well on Friday night and they still got the win. That's a really, really good sign for this team that if they're not on their A game, they can still find ways to win. You don't want to be testing that every single night, but you're going to have off nights throughout the season. You're going to have games where you're not at your best. If you can still find ways to pull it out, that's pretty good. And I mean, they were on a, a streak of playing a ton of road games in a row at that point. I think it was, what do we got? One, two, three, four, seven. five, six, seven road games in a <laughs> row um, before just one game in Hartford, that Boston college game, and then two more road games after that. So, you know, they were, they were on the road that whole time. And again, it doesn't really matter. The opponent being on the road is tough for a team. Uh, and so uh, you know, I, I don't know how the schedule, we, we discussed this, I think at the time, but it's like, it doesn't even look like there's any stretch where they have lots of home games in a row power to them for doing all of that in an extended, you know, road stretch, stretch of road games. Right. When the current senior class was freshman, they had a very similar schedule. I think it was worse. It was even more road tilted at the beginning of the season. They might've only played at the XL center like two or three times before the first half ended. Well, I guess that's actually what they ended up doing this year, four games at home. Although they didn't have two home games postponed later, so it would have been six. But the way the schedule was built, it was really road heavy to begin. And with how young that team was and how inexperienced they were, it really put them off on the wrong foot. They really struggled to recover. And it did help them late in the year when they had a bunch of home games to start to figure it out. But I think it's just... Again, this is an experienced team. We knew that going in. They're clearly a very mentally tough team. Nothing seems to phase them all that much. And one of the really good signs is they haven't really put together too many bad performances. I think you can point to two in one weekend, which would be the BC loss on the road at home. Another one where UConn had the lead late, gave it up, couldn't really... I mean, they did have a really good sequence once they pulled the goalie. They couldn't score, though. Mike Cavanaugh said that that's the one game he's really been disappointed at about this first half. And then the loss at Providence, the 6-4 loss, 
never really felt like it was a two goal game. It was always wider. I thought UConn kind of just got played off the ice by a better Providence team. The penalty kill was really bad. I really feel like you just narrow in right in on that weekend. And that's the only time where I've really been disappointed with their performance. I really felt that they should have played better. They didn't play better and they got the results. They completely deserved in both of those games. When you're looking at a full first half and a long stretch where there's two games where not only did you not have the performances, but you didn't get the results. Whereas Maine, yeah, you didn't have the performances. You got the results or maybe you'd split somewhere. You lost two games. You played poorly in two games, but two games out of 14. I think that's pretty good, especially considering we haven't felt like this team's been playing at their full potential. So they haven't exactly been at their ceiling, but they've been fairly consistent regardless. They've only had that one dip and they recovered from it pretty well. Yeah. And I think again, like with this UConn team, um, you know, we talk about their potential, but we don't mean that as like, they're a young, raw, talented bunch. We mean that a lot of really good proven talent has been assembled together here and has the potential to be a really great team, um, which, yeah, I, I think, you know, if we're reflecting on the first half, we haven't seen that. We maybe haven't seen like a pinnacle performance from them in terms of like, this is what they can be, you know, an elite goal scoring machine, you know, line after line of forwards that can score uh, coming at you in waves. Um, I, you know, I will say it was, it was, that was probably the, the low point though, is we're, we're coming off of losses to Boston college and Providence. And then they dropped the Oh three decision uh, to UMass Lowell. So we're talking three losses in a row. They've got one more game coming up the next day against UMass Lowell. But um, that was probably the point where, uh, you know, luckily we didn't have a podcast in the middle of the Lowell series, but, you know, if, if you had grabbed us and made us record some thoughts, you know, uh, in between those two games where we'd be saying, maybe this is not the UConn team that we thought it was. Um, so again, going back to, as we discussed, some resilience that they've shown, um, that win over UMass Lowell uh, in Hartford, especially given that, you know, the way the season, the half of the season ended, turned out to be huge. That's a, that's a huge win for them. Yeah. That was a gut check win because suddenly you're staring down the barrel of a four game losing streak. You've just lost to two of the best teams in hockey East also BC. Suddenly your hockey standing position isn't looking good. The, the questions about can this team actually compete against some of the better teams in the conference in the country that was an issue going into the UMass Lowell series, continuing on from the BC Providence weekend. And you're at home too. They had only won that Sacred Heart game earlier in the year at home. Then they dropped games to BU and Providence, both very similar. And then you go into the third period of that game. You're up to one and you don't score for the final 20 minutes, but you lock it down defensively. You hold strong and you don't give up that game-winning, game-tying goal that had plagued them both against BC and against BU in very similar spots. So, yeah, I don't think we can overstate not only how important that se- that win was through the course of the season for the team's mentality, but it also just showed that, yes, this team can compete with a top-20 team. This team is at that level. This team can get results against good teams when they need to. That was just... 
really in every single way. That was the team's best one of the season because I think UMass Lowell is probably the best team that they've beaten. That was a game that they needed to win, and they did. They played pretty well in that game. It wasn't perfect, but it was still a pretty good performance. So, yeah, I I really don't think we can say enough about how huge that was and how much that really does change the dynamic of this conversation that we're having, how we might have thought about the first half, because you lose that game, even just record-wise, you're 7-7. Seven and seven. One of our main points is going to be, yeah, they've only got two wins over ranked teams. And one of them is a BU team. Who's not even in the rankings anymore. And the other is a Northeastern team that very quickly turned things around after UConn played them. So still a little concerning. I'd like you kind of be a little bit better in the second half against ranked teams and assert themselves a little more, but you needed that one badly. And that's exactly what Mike Cavanaugh said afterwards when his voice was hoarse and had been screaming for the last 60 minutes on the ice. And Yeah. Just huge, huge win. And then again, it's like they only played one more game yeah. the rest of the semester. So uh, it was huger than we even thought in that moment because they had the Colgate win, which, you know, I think g- good performance, obviously awesome to win 6-1. It seems pretty clear that was going to be a win anyway, right? And and not one that changes our opinion of UConn uh, unless – unless they lose that game was not going to change anyone's opinion of UConn. Um, So that was their only, you know, their only game after that. Uh, And it would have left us with kind of a sour taste, uh, you know, just in terms of the team at that point, that's more vibes than anything about the actual team, but still uh, I think that's, that's something that's uh, pretty important. Um, Looking at the team itself, uh, obviously we had uh, some really you know, interesting performances from the players going into the season. We had some question marks, uh, I would say. Well, sure. Yeah, we'll call them a question marks. Uh, specifically in goal, uh, we had a new starting goalie in Darian Hansen. Uh, I guess one of the even biggest surprises was just that he played every game. Uh, but overall, uh, we're pretty pleased with his performance in net, right? Yeah, I don't think there's anything that you can complain about with Darian Hansen. You can be really nitpicky if you want, but I feel like with goalies more than any other position, the numbers really don't lie. You're giving up 2.36 goals per game. You're going to take that no matter who's in net. That's a really solid number. It's very close to the program single season record, I believe, or the hockey single season record, I, I should say, held by Tomasz Vomaszka's freshman year. Really good save percentage. I think he's definitely got better as the season has gone on. He was very clearly rusty early on. He wasn't always comfortable. I think he's really settled down. There's only been one game where I really felt he didn't have his stuff. And that was against Providence. And I think you could say that a lot of team didn't, the team didn't have their stuff that night. So I really think you give him a pass on that one. I thought even just the night before that Providence game, Boston college, that might've been his best game. He was phenomenal. He didn't deserve to take the loss. The only reason it was a 2-1 game and not something more was because he just played so well. So I think he's been very, very solid. There's been no games where I feel like he's won him the game. Partially, that's just because he hasn't needed to for the most part. I just don't think he's that type of goalie. He's not going to have super high highs. He has made some really nice saves, but he's just very, very steady. I don't know if maybe that's what you want in one of your freshman goaltenders that you recruit and is an NHL draft pick for, but 
for a guy that you got off the transfer wire and you just need to be a stopgap for one season. I think he has been more than adequate. I think he's just been so, so solid. And I don't mean that in any sort of detracting way that he's only been solid. I think when you're a goalie being solid is almost as good as you can be. So yeah, I think they got to be really happy with the way Darian Hansen's played. And I'm not all that concerned that he's been the only one that's played so far. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, solid is, is amazing for someone who they, like you said, get them off the transfer wire um, could be a huge question mark. And obviously goalie, very important position. Uh, you know, we can kind of get at Kavanaugh and them for a little bit for like, what was your plan if you didn't get this transfer, right? Like uh, what was the plan at the position? Who was going to be the starter if you didn't get this guy? But um, it's, it's not like Vomashka leaving was a big surprise. He was an NHL draft pick. Um, so at any rate, uh, the fact that he's been able to go in there and be really, really solid again, not, not negative, really solid, uh, is huge because otherwise it'd be super frustrating if you have someone who's making mistakes back there again, when you have, as we've discussed, this very talented team of skaters that we're very excited about, if they had a bad goalie, that would, that would ruin it all. So, um, you know. Great pickup, and it's worked out, I would say, better than we could have imagined. Definitely better. I don't know how much criticism there really is for what they would have done if they didn't get him because it's not like they picked this guy up in April or June after the season ended as like, oh, my God, we need to figure something out. They had him way back in November. So even if they didn't necessarily get Darian Hansen, it seemed like their plan was to get a veteran goaltender to help kind of buttress Logan Turnus. It also doesn't help when we're talking about Hanson playing every single game that Turnus hurt his ankle in October sounded like maybe it took him longer than what we knew it to get back because cab mentioned that he was hurt for about a month with that. So even if he's out for two weeks, takes him two more weeks to get back in. Now he's four weeks behind Darian Hanson trying to catch him. That's a lot of ground for a freshman to make up. And like we said, what has Darian Hansen necessarily done to show that he shouldn't be in there? And UConn hasn't had any really brutal stretches yet. They haven't played more than two games in a single week. That's probably going to change in the second half, but they've had lots of just single game weekends. I believe they even had a weekend off in there at one point. So it hasn't been a very big workload. There haven't also been many easy games, I guess, notable games that you really could have felt like, okay, he could have gone in with that one, especially coming off the two losses against Ohio state. You're not going to put him in against UMass Lowell, even Colgate. I would have been surprised if anyone but Turnus played just because that's still an important game. Maybe if you win those first three games, Merrimack, Merrimack and AIC, then you give Turnus a shot in their last game before winter break, just because then that game's importance is a lot smaller, but I still believe we're going to see him at some point in the second half. And I do believe it's going to be Turnus. No disrespect to Matt Pasquale. I think Matt Pasquale is a very solid goaltender to have in your program, but it really feels like Turnus is the number two. So with how many games I imagine they're going to have to get packed in to play the two against Merrimack, they seem really determined to play at least one game against AIC. They're going to have a few busy weeks in here. I wouldn't be surprised if let's say you play AIC on a Tuesday before the series against Northeastern. I could very easily see Turnus playing that Tuesday game just as a hypothetical. I'm just speculating on that. So 
I'd still bet on Turnus getting time at some point, but yeah, this is a good problem to have when, okay, you got this really talented freshman goaltender that you can't figure out when to get in because your veteran goaltender is playing well enough to hold on to that spot. So I'm pretty comfortable with that. I, yeah, much better than the alternative of our yeah. goalie is struggling and desperate for options, looking to somebody to save the day. And then this freshman shows some promise or something. And now we're talking about like, what goalie does Kavanaugh use going into a weekend or a series? That would be bad. Right. It would almost be the 2018-19 season again, where Huska starts as the starter but was so bad throughout the course of the season. I just don't understand how he was so bad as a junior. And Tomasz Vomashka won the spot at the end of the year. Not a perfectly comparable situation. I think Huska, his first two years, was obviously a much better goaltender than Hansen. Most goalies in college hockey were a better goaltender than Huska his junior year. And I think, I, I think it's fair to say that since Vomashka was an NHL pick, he's probably a better prospect than Turnus is. I don't know that for sure. I haven't seen Turnus play enough to really have any much of a grasp, but it is a very similar situation. So it is good to see that Hansen sticking with it, mm-hmm. holding strong. I think that's it. I mean, we weren't sure about the position, but we felt like it would end up being okay. And plan A has worked out perfectly fine for them. So I think that's been a huge plus and I don't even have a concern about it in the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think for the second half, like you said, it's just, it's just a matter of, very, you know, as a side story, will we see, will we get a chance to see this freshman goaltender? Will he get some action, uh, you know, to get that experience? Not something that's like, uh, you know, a life or death matter for the team, but just just kind of something we're casually wondering is what we'll see from him and, and you know, what kind of player he might be, which could be cool. Uh, but that's obviously much different than than what it could have been. And yeah, you know, great on Darian Hansen for for making it work and putting a really solid hold on on the job. Yeah, I really didn't know what to expect out of him coming in this year, but I think something that Mike Cavanaugh talked about in the beginning of the season that I didn't really understand what he was saying, but you can see it a lot more clearly now is Darian Hansen has such a low work rate in goal where he just makes everything look so easy and he makes his life so much easier. He doesn't have to go sprawling. He isn't flying all over the crease. He's just seeing the puck. He's stopping the puck. He's collecting the puck and his shot blocking numbers are so low because he isn't really allowing a ton of rebounds. I think there have been some games where he's been a little loose with the puck and he hasn't necessarily covered it up or collected it as well as he could have. But I think he's just very low energy, low movement and, not that Tomas Romashka wasn't, but I, I think they're just different players. So it's interesting seeing how a different goalie operates. And I still joke that there's got to be people coming to these games for the first time, their first game since the pandemic. Oh. And last time they were at games, they saw a number 33 in goal and they don't really remember his name. And, oh, that guy's still here. They still have a number 33 in goal. Very curious if that's actually the case with anyone. It's totally possible. Um, who knows? But... Hopefully people are going to games as we constantly discuss <laughs> because it is a good yes. time. Uh, but that's funny. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. They are wearing the same number. I didn't really, <laughs> didn't really think about that, but that's, that's funny. Um, so we've talked a lot about the goalies, <laughs> the goal, uh, the goalie situation, looking at the rest of the skaters. I mean, it feels like one name stands out among the rest. Uh, 
who has been the most productive and also goal wise. And I agree. Harrison Reese has been great this year from the blue line. (laughs) He came out of nowhere. No, but, uh, and and we're of course talking about Ryan Torberg who probably would not have been any of our first or second guesses for leading scorer before the season started. Um, I think, I think he's, you know, far and away the, the breakout player and also just the best, best player we've seen, best skater we've seen from UConn so far in the first half, right? Oh, 100%. I don't think it's even close. I do want the credit though, for saying that he would be the breakout player of the year. I did really think he was going to make a good jump this year. I didn't expect it would come this quickly. And I think what's really nice in terms of his first half is that he's played the exact same number of games in the first half as he did all of last season. So that's one really easy way to compare their numbers. Team high nine goals, second most assists on the team, tied for second most assists on the team with seven, 16 points total. He's just been electric. I think he scored in so many different ways too, where he had the goal against BC where he kind of took it all by himself around the net, fired, scored. He's had some really easy goals that he gets credit for just because he was in the right spot where a couple guys make a great pass. I'm specifically thinking of one at Maine. I think it was Hudson Shandor then gave it to Chase Bradley on the outside who sent this perfect cross ice pass and no disrespect to Ryan Torbert because he got himself in the right spot. But if you threw me out there on skates with a stick, I'm pretty confident I could have at least gotten that pass into the back of the net. And then he's kind of done everything in between too. So he scored a variety of goals. That's what I think is most impressive. It's not like he's just been hitting other teams on the break, which he has, but his goal scoring in that regard hasn't exactly been great. But then he's sniping some shots. He's showing off his skill. He's showing off his strength. He's still the same player that we saw last year, but it just feels like every single aspect of his game has elevated. He's gotten better. And what I noticed the most is, the number of open ice hits and the physicality that he plays with that wasn't there last year. And he still got the speed and he still got the finesse. Now you got the physical aspect. He's a really complete forward. And the fact that he's doing it in what was supposed to be his freshman year, he's a really special player. And I can't really think of how many times we've had a player just kind of come onto the scene this quickly, not at least in my time covering the team, at least Johnny Evans in his first couple of seasons, had hat tricks and he had big spots and showed up in a couple big games. And then it all kind of came together. Ryan Torberg was a good player in his first year. Then all of a sudden has just exploded. So yeah, he's been really fun to watch. And last year, again, 14 games, four goals and three assists, seven points total. He has seven assists in just 14 games this year. So that has been really fun to watch. His emergence has been obviously the biggest storyline on this team in the first half didn't make the Canadian world juniors roster, but just getting invited alone was pretty great. Yeah. And I I would say with Twerberg, you know, what else has been good is that he's been really just really consistent. He's spreading out his production. It's not like, it's not like he has a three goal game and then goes silent and then has another two goal game a few days later. seems like he's just been really consistently good, which, which I think is also very important um, because something that, we need from this UConn team is more consistency, uh, more consistency with being an offensive threat. Um, and I think that's, you know, the most important part of the best performance of the season that he's delivered so far is just that, um, you know, 
he's not uh, he's not like a up and down player. He's been really, really good the entire time. For sure. I think that's also just been a really big part of his his success and what makes him so impressive that it is coming on a consistent basis because perfect example is Vlad Firstov. Vlad Firstov has just probably as much talent as anyone else on UConn's roster, probably more talent than anyone else on UConn's roster. He just can't figure out how to tap into it all the time. And like the first two games of the year, he was by far UConn's best player. He looked like a Hobie Baker candidate. He was unbelievable. And he has been really quiet since then. He's had a couple flashes here and there, but Twerberg, it's really just felt like he's been pretty consistently at the same level. He's had a couple dips here and there, but he's just been really steady. I will say though, I think I would hand the MVP to Mark Gatcombe because as good as Twerberg's been, and Torberg's been good on the defensive end too. I do want to give him credit there. And he's laid out to block some pucks. Uh, there's just something that I can't really put my finger on with Mark Gatcombe that he feels like the glue that keeps this team together. As consistent as Torberg is, I think Gatcombe's just at another level. Every single stride that he has on the ice feels like it's the exact same. You know exactly what you're getting every single time you put him out on the ice. He's a big body. He's productive too he's got the most shots on the team with 46 he's five goals seven assists 12 points a plus seven every single time i watch him play i am just so 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 impressed by him i think that's why i'd give him the mvp it's just one of those things that it's a little bit intangible i can't really say why he's been so important to this team but i i really feel like gat is a guy who hasn't necessarily gotten the credit he deserves this year Hey man, you've watched more UConn hockey than anyone else. So if you want to to go with that, I say you know just stand by stand by your opinion. Um, I mean, yeah, look, I'm just looking at the stats here, but he's plus seven. Um, he's uh, leading the team in shots, which is also pretty pretty important. It can be important at least. Um, and I guess I, again, I would say another name who you probably did not predict to be high up on the list of you know top point getters, top goal scorers, but he's up there in, in both, uh, which, which is also impressive. So um, yeah, I mean, I think first off would have been everyone's prediction for who, you know, who would be the leading goal scorer or what have you. Um, He's off to a solid start as well. I think, you know, there's, there's something to be said for his consistency as, as we discussed, but um, still lots of upside there. And he is still like the third, you know, third leading scorer on the team. Right. Yeah, he's the yeah. third leader, tied for second with with Gatcombe. Uh, so you know he's he's still putting it in the net, uh, and uh, I think that's you know the, again the most promising thing as we discussed before the season a lot was just there are a lot of guys who can do it. Um, it seemed a little bit like at the beginning it was like a lot of guys waiting around for someone else to take charge. Uh, Torberg seems to have been that guy, but um, I think there's still lots of upside for first off. Uh, going into the second half and for some other people maybe to uh, find their way who have not, I'm thinking most, the first name that comes to mind for me on that is Johnny Evans, obviously, you know, named an all American last year. Feels like it's been a quiet first half for, for Johnny Evans. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I was just about to say, tell me that you're talking about Johnny Evans without telling me that you're talking (laughs) about Johnny Evans. I don't think he's really been as bad as his numbers indicate two goals, four assists, six points. 
obviously we expected a lot more out of him this year, but he's second on the team in shots. He has a 4.5% shooting percentage. Compare that to Ryan Twerberg, who has a 23.1 shooting percentage. I don't think it's that Johnny Evans has been taking bad shots or he's been in bad spots. A lot of it. I really just feel like the puck's not going in the back of the net. And yeah, some of that does fall on him, but like Carter Turnbull, he's a really apt comparison. I feel like he's got two goals and two assists. Carter Turnbull, I feel like has gone through stretches where he's been very invisible. And then there's times where he looks like the Carter Turnbull of old Johnny Evans. I still feel like he's pretty consistent and you know, he's playing on a line with Mark Gakholm and Jakob Kondalik who have a combined 24 points. So, or he played on a line with those two guys for a lot of the season. I think he ended up getting switched off towards the end of the first half. So yeah, there's, there's also the point of how many points are there to really go around. I think that's part of it. He definitely like needs to be more. more. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to be more productive in the second half. UConn needs more out of him in the second half, but it's not like I look at him and the way he played and really feel disappointed. I'm disappointed in the numbers, but I'm not disappointed in the performance. Whereas Carter Turnbull, I'm disappointed in the numbers. I'm not as disappointed in the performance, but it's not at the same level. So yeah, if he can find his stride and really start going in the second half, that's just another weapon for you kind of have up there along with Torberg, along with Mark Yatcom, along with Joachim Kondalik, who has just been fantastic this year as he's been really since stepping on campus mm-hmm. as Hudson Shandor, who's doing his best Joachim Kondalik impression where his first eight points of the year were all assists. And I mean, yeah, like you said, Vlad first off, second on the team tied with Gatcom in goals. And he has none in the last five games. So it just, goes to show you what kind of talent he has, what kind of talent he is. I still feel like there's just so much potential for this offense in the second half, so much potential that we haven't really seen yet that we started to see a little bit against Colgate and obviously didn't continue on. So yeah, considering how good of performances there have been from some guys and how much others still have to go, I think that's pretty promising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, going back to like, as we discussed, the potential of this team, it's not about raw talent, it's these guys, it's we're specifically talking about guys like Evans, Turnbull, first off, who we know can be doing better because we have seen it happen with our own eyes on the ice, uh, just hasn't materialized as much for those three, it feels and seems this season uh, so far. So I think that, again, you know, it gives the team, or it gives us a feeling that there's a lot of upside around this team still. Um, and hopefully that is something that, that they can figure out. Um, I feel like we should also talk about Nick Capone. Uh, you know, he's maybe doing like a mini Torberg breakout kind of thing for him. This was not, uh, he didn't have, he's probably got more goals and assists than he had all of last year. I think I don't have the number last year's numbers in front of me, but, um, you know, also a, a decent breakout for him this year. Yeah, he beat me to it with Capone. I was just looking at him last year. He had one goal. And he single-handedly outdid that in the Northeastern game. He had four assists to go along with it. So he already has four times as many goals as he had last year. He already has the same number of assists. I think he's made pretty much the jump that you'd expect for a guy who had an okay freshman year to make as a sophomore. And especially a guy that they're not counting on a whole lot for that goal scoring when you've got all the guys that we just mentioned. So when he's one of your 
second tier or third tier players to have that kind of production. I think that's been a really positive sign. Yeah. You'd like to see him cut down on the penalties a little bit. You'd like to see him play a little smarter, but he's been a good player for them this year. And I think that's really all that you can ask for. And I think kind of in the same vein, he doesn't have the same level of production, but I feel like Artem Schlein's had a really good sophomore year. He really seemed to start figuring out over these last few games had, I believe it was three points against Colgate, a really nice goal, a really nice assist, seven points on the year. That's honestly really solid. So Capone's eight points. Slane has seven points. Two guys that I think have made, as I said, a reasonable jump, jump from their freshman to sophomore year as guys that aren't being counted on. So I think the player development that we've seen for the most part is all pretty much in line with where we'd hope it is especially if some of your top end guys can get going. If the Twerbergs, Twerberg and Gatcomb and Condoleek continue the level that they're at and Shandor and Firstov and Spets and Turnbull take a step up. And then you're still getting what you get out of Artem Schlein, Nick Capone, even Kevin O'Neill. I want to throw in with those two because I think Kevin O'Neill's just been fantastic this year, even if his production isn't spectacular. Yeah, then you're really starting to cook with gas on offense. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the player development being where we hope it is, um, you know, doesn't always mean that that's what happens. Uh, we don't always see like linear improvement for someone from their freshman to sophomore year or from their freshman to junior year. So um, that that's really super promising. I think it gives us a lot of hope for, for the second half. Um, any other guys you, you want, you think deserve a, a shout out for their first half performance? Well, I know I joked about him earlier, but Harrison Reese has been really good in the second or in this first half. I make an argument. He's probably their best defenseman. He's just so solid. And the way I described him earlier was, yeah, someone like if, if you've got a line and there's a line, a divider in the middle and one half is offense and one half is defense. I think someone like Carter Turnbull that, is going to be filled way heavier to the offensive side and less so on defense, or maybe someone like Jared Gorley way more heavily tilted to the defense than it is to offense. I feel like Harrison Reese more so than really anyone is as balanced as you can be where he's contributing a lot on offense. I mean, he has three goals. That is more than Johnny Evans, Carter Turnbull, Hudson Chandor, Artem Schlain, Kevin O'Neill, Chase Bradley, that's not insignificant. He only has one assist, but he's playing really well in offense. I think he's been actually, I'm not saying this because I don't watch the game film enough and have as inside of a knowledge of it, but according to his teammates, according to Cav, he's probably their best breakout passer on the team. So I think he's just been so, so solid this year. He leads the team in blocks with 22 Ryan Wheeler is catching up to him with 19, but after that, it's John Spets with 14. So Reese has been really good. I also think Wheeler's been very, very solid for this team. I thought he was terrible his sophomore year. I thought he was going to be a guy that was just forever their seventh, eighth defenseman, but he made a really good leap last year and still wasn't that great last year, but definitely showed strides. This year, there's been times where I've been watching him and I feel like he's their best defenseman on the ice at moments. I think he's just been really good. That's easily been their best defensive pairing is Harrison Reese and Ryan Wheeler. Other than that, I don't think there's anything that special about the way the rest of their defensemen have played. I've been a little disappointed with John Spets, but then you look and he has one 
goals, six assists, seven points, 14 blocks is nothing to sneeze at either. I think he's been really solid too. Roman Canal's been good. Jake Flynn's been injured, so he hasn't played a ton, hasn't necessarily been the offensive defenseman we expected him to be. Carter Berger's had his moments, so just those two guys have really stood out to me in Reese and Wheeler for the first half on the defensive line and just wanted to make sure they got a little bit of a mention too. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we discussed this before the season, the defense um, it's the defenseman. It's not a crew we're expecting a ton from Uh, obviously so much forward talent. uh, And, and kind of like you said earlier, only so many points to really go around uh, to begin with, but I think even just the the mere fact that there's people who are contributing offensively, that's huge. Uh, And people who, uh, seem to be players that they can count on to get something going uh, is is really, really important and something that uh, will come up for them in the second half as well. Yeah, um, I remember asking Cav about this a couple of weeks ago where about the offensive contributions from the defenseman, and he went as far as to say that in terms of where the programs come from when the seniors were freshmen to now, he really feels like they're getting so much more offense out of those defensemen than they really ever have since he's been at UConn. And yeah, Reese has the three goals and Spets has the six assists and Carter Berger's probably the best at getting the puck on the net, but there's never a time where you've got someone out on the ice on defense where you say, okay, that guy is just a paperweight standing at the blue line. He's not going to be doing anything. I think Jared Gorley and Roman Canal are probably their most defensive defenseman group, but at the same time, Jared Gorley has scored a goal. He has an assist. Roman Canal, he has a goal and an assist. So they're still adding something. They're still getting shots. I mean, Jared Gorley has 12 shots. That's more than Sasha Teleguin has. Obviously, a different number of games, different position. But I think everyone's been good enough. And something that I talked about at the preseason that I still very feel very strongly about, they've got a really nice balance in this group where no one is all offense, basically a forward playing defenseman. And no one is all defense, just a defenseman. Everyone is capable of contributing in some regards, but you do have some guys that lean more way than others. And then you've got the line of Reese and Wheeler, which I feel like is pretty much just plopped straight in the middle. So I still really like the balance of this group. I still really like the way they play together. Yeah, you could have better defensemen. You don't have an elite defenseman. You've never really had an elite defenseman. But the trade-off with that is you just have a very, very solid group, a B-plus group across the board. So I guess it comes down to personal preference. Would you rather have an A-plus and a C-minus on the same line? Depends. Maybe you would. But I do really like just having a very similar level for everyone. Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, you, you can't play Madden about it you know, like, and just look at averagings of people and be like, Oh, on average, this is a good group. Um, consistency matters across, you know, nine people who are playing in every single game, obviously, you know, it's, it's huge. So I think that that bodes really well for them as well. It's a good, uh, it's a good match <laughs> for the forward line and how that, how they're constructed. Um, and uh, I think again, overall, it gives them, it just still gives them upside uh, for this second half. So, yeah, going back to the team as a whole and and um, some of our preseason conversations, you will recall, uh, listeners will recall uh, uh, some pretty, pretty 
pretty strong language at the beginning of the season about the talent level on this year's UConn team, about the potential for how the se- this season will end. Um, you think it's the most talented UConn team, it, and ultimately that would mean has has the best end to a season, the best finish to their season of any UConn team. Do you still think that's going to happen? How how has your opinion on that changed, if 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 anything? I think where my opinion has changed the most is just strictly in terms of who's good in hockey East where I don't think it's impossible for UConn to crack into this tier, but I really feel like UMass Lowell, UMass and Providence are kind of on their own level right now. And I'd say UConn's really with Northeastern a step below. And then below that, I would say is BC. I don't want to loop them in with, BU, I don't think BU is that good. I think BU's bound for a very early exit in the hockey's playoffs. So I'd say BU's a lot closer to being in the same tier with Merrimack as they are to being in with BC. So I I don't think it's impossible for either UConn or Northeastern to break into that top group. And I mean, UConn's played two fewer games than UMass Lowell, who's currently in place with 25th point, 25 points. They're 11 points back, so that is a bit of a hill to climb, but you still got a lot of season left. You only played UMass Lowell twice of all that group ahead of you, so, I mean, you really haven't played that many hockey games to begin with. You got a lot of time to try and work your way up. I think it's possible they can finish third, but I don't think I would be super disappointed if they ended up as a fourth or a fifth seed just because of how good the conference is this year and at the same time i wouldn't be stunned i'm not expecting it to happen but i still think they could make some noise in terms of the regular season title really it all comes down to getting yourself in a good position for the postseason you got to win the postseason game and i really feel like no matter what happens from now until the end of the regular season if you have a bad second half, but make it to the hockey's title game or win the hockey's title and get to the NCAA tournament or anything like that, no one's going to care that you had a bad regular season. But if you have, let's say, a great regular season and you finish second and then you get bounced in the first round again, I don't think people are really going to care that you finish second. So <laughs> it, it's really all a matter of the postseason success, but you'd rather see them have a really good second half and also do something in the postseason. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I would say, um, you know, if we're evaluating performances, um, I I expected them to do slightly better in this first half. I would just place it as, you know, getting one of those wins in the weekend where they played Providence and BC, you know, might just be the difference of me thinking this was a great first half versus like this was a pretty good first half. Um, And then I think, you know, the Hockey East finish, that's that's super tight. We all know that Uh, as the end of the year approaches, that is a weekend by weekend, you know, the who who is in place, you know, seed three through six is is liable to change based on results uh, on a game by game basis. So um, I, I would say, you know, if they had a really good season, let's just talk in some hypotheticals here. You know, if they finish second or third and 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 have an unfortunate early exit, I still think we should call that a very good season and performance and all of that. If you hit a high point in regular season finish, that shows a level of consistency, a level of quality uh, that matters. Obviously, like the playoffs and all that are super important. We're not at the point where we are like, 
oh, we're not the New England Patriots. You know, it's not like, oh, nothing but the postseason matters, you know, uh, as much as I'm loath to make that comparison. Uh, you know, it's, it's I thoroughly like, enjoyed that comparison just <laughs> to make we're, uh, we're make more that like clear. the Buffalo Bills where we need to be. <laughs> We need to be happy about signs of success, particularly signs of elite levels of success, whether that comes in the form of a higher than ever finish in the Hockey East regular season or winning a playoff series. Uh, You know, I'll take it either way is kind of my opinion about it uh, from the Bills fan perspective on, on it, as opposed to being like, if they don't do damage in the playoffs, it's a bad season. That's a luxury to feel that way. And I don't think we're there yet with this, you know, team and program, but I, you know, I think for, for a lot, all of the three reasons we discussed, they still have a lot of themselves to find, I think this year. And if they can do that, they certainly can be, you know, in that, I think in that upper tier with, with all the, with those teams, uh, they are knocking on the door as they stand right now. And we've discussed that they still have, um, you know, players who can be doing better, good players who can be doing better. So um, we shall see, right? Uh, that's that's the beauty of it all. But we do know that um, Kavanaugh's teams have performed a lot better in the second half. Uh, and given all of that, you know, I think usually we're, usually we end the first half with this team fairly disappointed, I would say. It's been, it's been a disappointing couple of first halves over the past few years. So I, I think even just being like, pretty optimistic feeling like it was a pretty good first half that's great by UConn standards and then if they can make the kind of second half push that that they are known to make that could be really good and it could mean being you know a team that establishes itself as an upper tier hockey East team we have not seen that yet though yeah well just to keep the football references going I'm curious what's the hockey equivalent to losing to a division rival at home when the other team only throws three passes uh, that would be, um, that would be the Ohio state loss. I think where the <laughs> yeah. UConn doesn't score again for another, uh, four periods or five periods or whatever it was. Yeah, no, I agree. I just needed to throw that jab in there briefly. I would agree that I'm not thrilled about the first half. I would probably give it a B because objectively you can't say that they performed poorly right? and you can't give them a C and say, they were only average because they were clearly above average, just the yeah. record and everything else. But yeah, I'm, I still feel like they didn't necessarily play to their potential. I still think they haven't played near their potential. And there's a lot that they can still work on going into the second half. You got to keep it in perspective too. It's the first half. You still have your most important hockey to go. Exactly. It could have been like two years ago where you just had a couple stinkers and needed a hot run at the end of the first half to even be in decent shape, UConn's just been consistently at the same level. So I think that's something that's really promising. And I don't, I didn't mean to say that it's only about the postseason, but oh my God, you just need to win a playoff game. That's more what I was saying is you need to win a playoff game. However, in just a very random hypothetical that doesn't actually mean anything, but would you rather have UConn win the hockey East regular season and then get bounced in the first round of the hockey East playoffs because they win the hockey East regular yes. season. They're going to the NCAA tournament. There's no doubt in my mind that that would be happening. So you'd still be getting the postseason, And then let's say they win just one game in the NCAA tournament and lose in the regional finals. I think anyone would sign up for that. And I don't think we would be 1,000%. discussing. 
yeah, we wouldn't be discussing, are they still, I mean, like, yeah, next year in, or in 2023, when they get to the hockey's playoffs again, we're going to be talking about how they haven't won a hockey's playoff game, but sure. like, yeah, you, you take that nine times out of 10. So obviously playoffs aren't everything, or let's just say that UConn finishes second and they get bounced in the first round of the hockey's tournament. And then they go to the frozen four. Like, again, no one's going to be complaining about what happened in the hockey's tournament. It's more, if you finish third and you get to the hockey's tournament and you get bounced in the first round and then you get left out of the NCAA tournament again, and all of a sudden you're not playing in the postseason, that's, I think, where it becomes really disappointing, even if you do have a really good finish. So, obviously, it's all relative. This is just going to be such a fascinating second half to watch unfold because we don't really, I don't really know what to expect out of this team on January 2nd against Harvard. They're going to be off for a long time. Is rust going to be a factor? What's their health level going to be at? Are guys going to be fully fit for that game, having potentially missed time with COVID and then going home and not having the regimen of practice every single day. I feel like UConn could either come out and beat Harvard like five, nothing, or they could get their brains blown and and lose five, nothing. Or it could be a nice 2-2 competitive game. I truly have no idea what to expect when the second half begins. But eventually, I think even if it does take them a couple weekends to figure it out in the second half, it did seem like something might have clicked in that Colgate game. And that's why it's so frustrating. Two series in a row got canceled where, yeah, it looked like something might have clicked, but we have no way of actually knowing because they didn't play at all. And how much can you really use a game that happened in early December to judge now in mid to early or not October, January. So just a very weird spot to be trying to think about this team in the second half. And, you know, the other thing, uh, hopefully it doesn't take them too long to adjust as they get into the second half, because right after Harvard, they've got BC and BU, Uh, you know, those are two big games. Even if BU is, not their usual selves this year. Those are two huge games, you know, games two and three out of the break are going to be big ones. UConn has to beat Boston college, you know, like, let's just put it that way. Right. Like it's, this is not a a elite Boston college team and they lost the first time around. They've got to get that win. You know, they, they can't lose two to BC in a down year for them. That's, you know, they'll get one more chance on them uh, later in the year, but still. Uh, I, I would really like to see a win in, in that January 8th Boston College game. And um, yeah, just in terms of the the upside of it all, I mean, or the, you know, hypotheticals about the finish, I think with how competitive Hockey East is, uh, you have to just think of it, uh, you know, a, a number one, a number two, even a number three finish in the league. That is a breakthrough for the program. You know, it, there's no other there's no other way to, however you want to slice it. It's, it's a big breakthrough for the program to be establishing itself as good enough to be top three in this very, very tough league. So, um, and that would be something where I'd be happy of it, regardless of what happens in the postseason, whether it's an early loss or, or what have you. And I think, you know, that, that's my, that's my hope for them. I think that it will be a very interesting second half. I think because of the upside that they have, Um, you know, there's a lot of fun to be had and hopefully seeing them realize it. Um, and it happens if it happens against good teams, that'll be really fun to watch. Uh, so that's, that's what, uh, I am taking into the second half is certainly a lot of optimism, uh, and excitement because 
This team has not played its best. They've still performed and got well and gotten good results. Um, but with a little bit more of getting it together, uh, they can be really, really good, I think. And, and that's, that's the approach I'm taking to, to the second half of the year. Yeah. And I think to your point about the finish last year, they weren't going to be outside the top five worst case scenario, because there were those top five teams. And then there was a very, very clear drop off after that this year. I mean, obviously you got the UMass's Northeastern Providence, those four right there. I think obviously those are the best, but BC is going to be in that mix too. I'm not going to count out BC, even though I don't think they're a national championship caliber team, a hockey's contender. Also, BU has too much talent to be this bad. So even though I don't think they're that good, I'm still not going to completely count them out of the second half. And then there's UConn. So you've got seven teams that I think are going to be competing for positioning in the second half. Merrimack, they tied Dartmouth. They're gone for my concern. UConn needs to sweep them whenever they play. I don't care. You don't tie, you don't drop points to Dartmouth. We just went over that with Colgate. That's a sign of a bad team. So Merrimack, you're done. Looking at their schedule, though, I think basically how you how I'm going to be looking at it, you can choose whether or not you want to do so as well. But basically, the Harvard game is an exhibition and whatever result you get out of the Harvard game, you you take it. And if it's good, great. That's a great start. And if it's bad, then OK. I think there's plenty of reasons that you can make for why they played badly. But like you said, I agree. BC needs to be a win. I also think BU needs to be a win. I don't think you should be losing a game to New Hampshire. You can't lose to Yale. Yale is terrible. Yale got shut out by the same Colgate team that UConn took behind the woodshed a few weekends ago. You can't be losing to Yale. And then assuming that you play Quinnipiac because they might be the number one team in the country. They're close to the number one team in the country. They're a really good team. Yeah, you play Quinnipiac, you don't beat Quinnipiac, then whatever. I'm I'm good with that. But talking about starting the second half and expecting to win at least five games in a row at one point, if not potentially six games in a row to say it, that sounds like it's really high expectations, but if you just break it down game by game, excluding the Harvard one, like if they win Harvard, great, then it should be six in a row, but just looking game by game, I feel like every single one of those, they should be winning or, you know, if drew Comiso robs them again against BU and they lose three four three or something like okay but you gotta at least have four really good performances against those hockey's teams and then like send yale to the moon so it's it's gonna be really important to start off the second half strong and especially that harvard game it's gonna be a really good litmus test about where this team stands coming off both the covid break and the winter break you got a double thing going so that'll be a very very important one yeah, I mean, again, every, every Hockey East game has the potential to be really competitive, as we as we know. Um, and I think, again, to something that we have seen that we are pleased about with this UConn team is that they do beat who they are supposed to. So far, they have done that quite well. So at least I feel good about the New Hampshire game games uh, and Yale. But uh, those the at Boston College and hosting BU. Uh, that BU game will be their first home game of the second half. Those are big. Those are big. And I'm concerned about that <laughs> too. So uh, we shall see. 
Yeah, well, and also I just scrolled past Connecticut Ice and you look at how they close the season. This isn't a gauntlet. I don't know what is. So it's Providence, first game after Connecticut Ice. That's at home. Then you go up to UNH. Okay, you get a little bit of a break. Then you got BC. Then you got your home and... Right, right, sure. Then you got a home and home against UMass, who I think UMass is really good. Then you got this new Northeastern team that seems to have figured itself out. And then you close the year with Vermont. So... That is a very tough end to the season. That's why you got to get the ones when they matter before Connecticut ice. I think we're going to be talking a lot about how Connecticut ice is going to be a potential dividing point in the season, at least the way that we're thinking about it. It's easy. And then it gets really hard. So you got to win the games that you can. And then, I mean, that's a, what a six game stretch, a seven game stretch in there with Providence, UNH, BC, UMass, and Northeastern seven games. I think as long as one of those wins is UNH, if you go four and three through there, I think you're going to probably be pretty happy. So yeah, that's, that's going to be a grind. Yeah. So um, again, these next, these first excluding Harvard, these first five games of the second half are going to be really, really big. And Harvard's just going to be really big to judge where they stand. So yeah, it's going to be really fun once things get going in the new year. That's going to do it for this episode of the Yukon Hockey Hub podcast. If we don't record again before Christmas, enjoy your Christmas. If you celebrate, enjoy the holidays. If you don't, happy new year. If we don't talk until right before or after the Harvard game, we should have a podcast before the Harvard game. But yeah, definitely we will. Okay, well, not happy new year's yet, but happy holidays. Thanks for listening.